Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Anita Norwich. Anita is Collegiate Professor Emirata at the University of Michigan. She's a scholar and translator of Yiddish literature who has written and taught about American, Jewish, and Yiddish literature and literature of the Holocaust. She earned her PhD in Victorian literature from Columbia University and studied Yiddish literature at the YIVO Institute for Jewish Research in New York and the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Norwich's books include The Homeless Imagination of the Fiction of Israel Joshua Singer, Discovering Exile, Yiddish and Jewish Culture in America During the Holocaust, Writing in Tongues, Translating Yiddish in the 20th Century, and a translation of Kaji Molodovsky's A Jewish Refugee in America. Her most recent translation of Hannah Blankstein's Fear is a 2022 Great Jewish Books Club selection. Anita's translation of Celia Dropkin's novel, Two Feelings, is forthcoming from White Coat Press. Welcome, Anita. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Always lovely to have you here. Stop working so hard because your introduction was too long. <laughs> um, so really uh, happy to have you here. This uh, podcast is being presented um, as part of our Great Jewish Books Book Club, and we are now reading Fear, and we are loving it. Um, so no spoiler alerts as we go into this, but I thought it'd be fun to have a conversation with you, sort of just to get some background. So how did you happen upon Blankstein's work? Um, well, in, in, in a, a most circuitous sort of way, I was um, looking for uh, novels by, Yiddish novels by women. Um, I had an NEH at the, the Center for Jewish History to just go find them and just make a list of them. That was really the project. And I did it, um, as I'm sure some of your listeners have heard me say by now, I, I did it by looking for first names of women in bibliographies and card catalogs and, uh, you know, on the spines of books at the uh, Yiddish Book Center. Um, and I came across this Hana, obviously a Yiddish name, my Yiddish name, actually, uh, Hannah Blankstein. So I asked uh, for the book at Evo. It's, it, it wasn't at that point yet digitized. Um, and they brought me this little book and it had short stories. And I thought, well, short stories I'm not so interested in. You know, a number of them have been translated. I'm looking for novels. And when I opened the book, I saw that it was it's a little book. And I saw that it was published in 1939 in Vilna. And I later learned it was July 1939, just weeks before um, the Nazis invaded. Uh, so it was one of the last books to have been published in Yiddish before the war uh, in, in, uh, in Eastern Europe. And when I started reading it, I found it just intriguing. I couldn't not read it because of 1939 and Vilna, and also because there was an introduction, a short introduction to the book by Max Weinreich, who, as I'm sure you know, is the, the preeminent um, uh, linguist, uh, Yiddish linguist of the 20th century. Uh, and the stories were just too intriguing not to translate. Will you talk a little bit about her life and her work? Um, and as you mentioned, she never lived to see this published in 1939. She died just shortly before, correct? She died. Uh, no, this came out two weeks before she died. Sure, okay. And uh, these were stories that had been published 
in the Vilna uh, newspapers and journals uh, in the 20s mostly, I think. Um, but uh, I, I don't know who put it together, whether she did or a, a group of her friends seemed to have put it together, but she was aware of it, um, or at least it came out really just two weeks before she died as the obituaries uh, made very clear. Wow. So what can you tell us a little bit about her life and how that may have informed her work? Without giving anything away. Without giving anything um, uh, There's actually, it, it, it's hard to come by biographical information about her. Um, there's only one article uh, that I found in English that discusses her at all. Uh, and it's an incredibly useful article by Ellie Kelman. Um, uh, and then there's some work by Polish scholars, but really I should have said uh, earlier, but we'll say now that there are only two copies of this book in the United States. And that was another thing that was just too intriguing. One copy uh, you have, that is to say the Yiddish Book Center has, and it came from St. Louis, and it's dated 1943. And there's another one uh, at the at the Yiddish Research Institute in New York. And that one is has a, I don't mean dated, it, it, it's dated 1939, but the, the signature, the dedication in one case is from 1943 and the other case is from 1940. So one of the questions is the question of the book, right? How does a book that comes out in July of 1939 wind up in St. Louis or New York in 1940 or 43. I don't have an answer to that, except I have some speculation. Um, both of them were signed uh, by um, people who knew Hannah Blankstein, uh, Hirsch Abramovich and Anna Abramovich, who were the parents of the legendary YIVO librarian, Dina Abramovich. So there's like an, in, you know, this is just a, a, a knotted up um, puzzle um, that I found intriguing. Hirsch Abramovich was actually in the United States when the war broke out. Um, and he must have, it's possible, mail was still happening at that point. It's possible that he received it in the mail or it's possible that he brought it with him. Um, uh, and of course he couldn't go back to Europe, but uh, his wife and daughter, were um, stuck uh, in the ghetto. And Dean Avramovich wound up working with uh, the paper brigade, um, the, those uh, librarian scholars, writers who saved Yiddish materials uh, during, the, during the ghetto, in the ghetto. Uh, so anyway, just historically, it was, it was inescapable. But you asked me about her life and not about the life of the book necessarily. So, um, uh, I think she was born in 1860. That seems to be some sort of consensus, although I, I didn't find that um, independently. And the only thing that I know for sure is that she died in July of 39 because there are obituaries um, for her from that date. She was very well educated uh, secularly. Uh, she had she came from a you know upper middle class, fairly well-to-do family. She had governesses who spoke to her in French and in German. Um, uh, she studied in France and in Germany. Uh, and she was very active politically and active uh, in uh, women's rights issues. So she uh, argued and worked against 
um, uh, women being uh, forced into sex trade, into sex, sex work. She set up um, vocational training for the poor, um, both women uh, and men. She stood for, uh, for city government. She lost, but she stood. She was a member of the Volkspartei, uh, which was uh, the, the People's Party, which was a, a Jewish and Yiddishist uh, group that argued for um, Jewish cultural autonomy in the lands where Jews lived. Uh, it was relatively short-lived between the wars. Um, uh, actually, before from 1905 into the 30s. Uh, and then she turned to Politzian, uh, which was uh, the Workers of Zion movement, a Zionist uh, organization. Um, and she spoke at, in, you know, she spoke and wrote all over the place. I, I, I saw a speech that she'd given in London about uh, trafficking, sex trafficking. Um, uh, and she was known uh, in her own day quite well, um, although you know, dying in 1939 both meant she missed the horror, um, but it also meant uh, that her book missed distribution and uh, publicity. I was going to mention how amazing it was when the book was found here. And, and oh, then that was a, hands. yeah, that was a funny story. I, I had seen a reference to it on your, um, uh, you know, on your website. And it wasn't digitized. And I asked David Mazauer uh, if he could find me a copy, and he couldn't. It wasn't. It wasn't to be found. Um, and uh, finally, I mean, one. This is really one of those stories. You know, one day he opened a box of books that had come from someplace in St. Louis. And they were going to catalog them and see what was different and what was what they you know what they had many, many duplicates of, and there in the box on top of the box in the books was this little book by Hannah Blankstein and he you know he called me all excited um, as I was and I asked him to send me the dedication page and that's where I saw that other signature. Um. You mentioned a little bit about her life and um, in selecting this book for the book club this year, it was really so neatly threaded to the Yiddish Book Center's 2020 Decade of Discovery theme, Women in Yiddish. And it's safe to say that she was interested and active um, in feminism and women's rights. I'd love to hear your thoughts about how that plays into her work. It, it's an interesting question. Um, and as you know, your your readers read the stories. I think the interest um, in both in politics and in the uh, the situation of women it will uh, will clearly uh, clearly emerge. Um, she the stories uh, take place somewhere between the Russian Revolution um, and uh, the late twenties, early thirties. Um, so they're not about the Holocaust, certainly. They're not about the Nazis. They're not about World War II. And th that, that's something I stressed in the introduction as well. They're about World War I and the interwar period. And um, most of all, 
I'm trying not to give away anything. But most of all, I think, I hope that readers will pay attention to how interested she was in work, in labor, both for women and for men, right? It matters that one has employment. Um, uh, it, it, it matters in the face of anti-Semitism, in the face of uh, war, revolution. Not all of her characters are Jews by any means, and they're, they're not all women by any means either. Um, but uh, they are they are all equally of the modern period, uh, looking for looking for love, looking for work, looking for national belonging of some sort. It was such a great read for me. Um, I'm I think, so glad uh, to hear that. I think I was in touch with you right after I finished it, and yeah. it was in basically one one afternoon on the couch with the fire blaring next to me. And it was just, it's it's so interesting. I feel like she draws you into the place. You have such a sense of her, the world around her. Right. And it's a modern world. And it's That's complex. exactly right. That's exactly right. One of the one of the best responses I got to this book was from a friend of mine who who read it, who reads, you know, everything. She's not a Yiddishist, she's not a literary scholar, she's a very well-read person. And when she read it, when she finished it, she said, you know, this isn't at all what I expected. And I was thrilled. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure whether she was happy about that or not, but I thought that's exactly the point. This is not the kind of Yiddish story by a woman that the reader might expect. It's very modern. It's modernist in, in tone and in literary devices and modern in, in the modern sensibility. And yet it's uncompromisingly also um, about, uh, about Jews, even when it's not about, even when all the characters are not Jewish characters, the sensibility that recognizes that things can be very bad for very many kinds of people and for the Jews is very much there. And uh, it, it requires cer certain special attention uh, within the stories. I think the comment that it wasn't what I expected is so interesting. And, and you know, right. I would be other than transparent if I didn't say that you and I have had many conversations about this. I mean, first, when you did a program here about the women poets um, and poetry is not something that I usually gravitate towards. But the strength of the voice of women, that power, that ownership of themselves as women, as sexual beings um, in a modern world, I find just really incredible and interesting. Again, you were here, what, two or three weeks ago for DeFroyan? Yeah, um, where we were, you know, had many, many, many conversations, you know, with the presenters um, on all sorts of aspects of um, women's literature from Yiddish and translation, et cetera. And what's intriguing about your work, um, Anita, is like the book that we're going to be publishing, um, the Celia Dropkin. These are unexpected finds, and yet you keep um, surfacing work that has such a strong, strong voice to it um, and introduces us to different roles women assume and different ways they have of thinking and coping with their world. 
yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not sure what's surprising in this uh, for people, um, other than the fact that these texts, these voices, I'm, I'm not sure that they've been suppressed. I think they've just been ignored. Um, and as again, as you and I have, you know, as you've heard me say more than once, I suspect by now, um, people assumed and were told, as I was told when I entered the field of Yiddish studies, that women didn't write novels. They wrote poetry, they wrote diaries, they wrote memoirs, they wrote about themselves. But the novel is a different kind of genre, which never made a lot of sense uh, to anybody who heard that. But it was, you know, one of the truths we held to be self-evident. And you don't go looking for things if you think you know what you're going to find. You know, what's the point of looking for something if everybody's telling you that it's not there? Where are you going to go? And I finally, I have to say, I finally had the, uh, the time and the wherewithal uh, to decide to go look. Um, and it, it's not that that uh, these are rare discoveries. I mean, Blunstein, I really do feel, um, is a rare re recovery. And I, I want to stress that that distinction, right? It's there. It, it, it's not, you know, Columbus discovered America is, is like saying that, you know, we've been discovering these women. They're there. They were there. They were well known. And they simply dropped off the face of the literary world. And there are a number of us who are now insisting on including them. Women had different experiences than men, even of the same experience. That is, they, they lived through the war. They lived through revolution. They lived through economic deprivation. Um, they also lived through misogyny. Uh, um, and they had both similar and different reactions than men did to these events. And I think it matters to Yiddish culture and to Jewish history, frankly, um, to see those different responses or those different emphases. Not sure if you're going to push back on this, um, which you're very welcome to, um, you being the scholar. But it also seems to me that in many cases, these women um, wrote later in life. In a lot of cases, you know, I think Bluma Lempel, Yenta Mosh, um, some of okay, them. Okay, so the yeah. pushback would be on two levels, if, okay. if, if I can. Yes. Um, one is that that that's not true of all of them. Mm -hmm. um, but the other is, I don't think that we are yet in a position to make generalized statements about either of these women's lives or what they wrote. Not because we shouldn't make them, although I'm not sure we should ever make them, but because we don't have enough of them at our fingertips in the way you know, it was once possible to say, um, uh, here's the, the more or less typical uh, trajectory of uh, Yiddish writers, meaning they were men. They were from Eastern Europe. They may have emigrated to the United States. They had a traditional education with more or less secular learning, and they rebelled. End of story. Um, we can't do that with women yet. I don't think there's enough there. Um, I don't mean that there are enough women there. I don't think we've uncovered enough about them to make those kinds of uh, generalizable, uh, generalized statements. 
Very, yeah, a very fair response. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so um, you invited me to push back. I can't help it. <laughs> right. I, I know I did. You know, it's just it dawned on me in some instances that uh, you know some of the work is um, if if some of it was done later in life, and this would be the case for any writer, whether male or female, it allows one reflect. You know, reflection. There's a there's a longer. Right arc um and so yeah that has to find its way into the writing um so that was that was it we can explore it long more over (laughs) um (laughs) and that's why you teach thank you (laughs) and i can sit in the audience um so um you kind of touched on this but is there any one thing for readers that you would like them to take away from this work one thing you're asking or just like, yeah, spent yeah. three years on this work to go <laughs> away with one thing um <laughs> maybe one thing to pay attention to um i was you, you mentioned earlier you know her voice i was really fascinated by the different voices that each of these stories have right there's a strong voice in each but it's not the same voice from one to the other and sometimes, as with the other books that you mentioned that I translated, well, as particularly with Tilia Dropkin, uh, with the Tilia Dropkin novel that you're publishing soonish, um, uh, uh, the 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 center of consciousness, the perspective, uh, switches, changes. Sometimes in the middle of a sentence, you know, we're we're inside the head of one character, and then we're inside the head of another character, and that's the and and things don't seem to follow in sequential order, which is life, right? I mean, we you know, I don't wait for you necessarily all the time to finish your sentence. Um, you don't necessarily follow up with the very last word that I uttered, right? That's how life works. Um, and Blankstein, and I think the next one, uh, um, uh, Dropkin as well, but in a different way, really has a sense of those different voices, which is both, you know, a challenge to translate and a delight to translate. Well, you translated it beautifully and you're absolutely Thanks. right. It's interesting to ask that question. I wasn't sure what the answer would be, but as soon as you started to say that, I was like, yeah, that's what was so wonderful about it in mm. a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, it, 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 these stories aren't... It, um, they're not driven by plot. You know what I mean? It's not like, you know, you have to pay attention to this happens and then that happens and then that happens. You do have to pay attention to what happens, but you also have to pay attention to character and to the situation. I mean, the the I changed the order in which the stories appeared in the Yiddish volume. I changed it in, in, when I translated it. Uh, and uh, the title Fear is is an overriding atmosphere in these stories, but it's not the only one. And there's a way of, if not conquering fear, um, countering it. Yeah, you did. did, There's almost a visceral reaction in some of these, um, reading it, um, which is great. So again, for our listeners, the book is Fear. It's available at shop.yiddishbookcenter.org. 
www.jewishmoneyshow.org. It is currently the sixth and last selection of the 2022 Great Jewish Books Club. Um, you can learn more about the book club, uh, become a member for free, and join in the conversation about fear. Uh, you can learn more about the book club at YiddishBookCenter.org. And also, I'm thrilled to say that Anita Norwich will be joining us again for the Capstone Conversation, a virtual public program, at which point we can actually ask questions about each and every one of <laughs> the stories without ruining the read for you. Um, and that program will be December 13th at 7 p.m. It's a virtual public program. Registration is free. You can register at YiddishBookCenter.org dot org slash events. Um, Anita, as always, thank you for everything you bring to your work. Thank you. Past, thank present, you very much. Future and can't wait for the next book. So thanks again. <laughs> and everybody thank get you. yourself a copy of Fear. You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.